Hey there, friend. I'm Susan, and this is the Spark Chasers podcast, a series dedicated to the educational changemakers who embrace creativity, seek out challenges, and collaborate on solutions. This is a show for any educator looking to explore the creative side in the classroom, business, and life. So grab a cup of caffeine, your favorite flare pen, and let's chat about what's now and what could be next. Well, hey there, friend. How are you today? Here in Maryland, we've had our first big cold snap. So that has meant a lot of time getting our home ready for winter, Uh, putting our deck chairs away, blowing off leaves, and bringing in anything fragile. And while I hate seeing the warmth of summer fade away, there is a stillness that comes in the chill of winter that I can be grateful for. But to be honest, I'm not really all that good with quiet. I actually worry a great deal in the winter, and the worries aren't anything that actually ever come to fruition. And I know that deep down, things will all be okay, but there is something about the dormancy and the quiet of winter that unsettles me in some way. Do you ever feel like that? I'm trying to learn to embrace the winter as a time when we recover and repair, That is sometimes difficult, which is why I think that today's topic of the three frames for creative teaching is exciting to me to talk about. As a teacher, I always found this time of year, getting ready for the holiday season, to be both joyous and stressful in schools. Students have a long winter ahead of them with a lot of intense work. You know, we do a lot of intense work in schools between January and March. And we've just th- turned the, uh, the corner of first quarter and getting settled in for the ride, if you will. So now we throw in the holiday season and virtual slash hybrid slash face-to-face teaching, and our students need an outlet more than ever. They're getting antsy, and classroom management for us becomes even more of a challenge. And on top of all of that, uh, we also have to make sure that we're ordering our gifts on time this year like and early so that they get here on time for the holiday season. So we definitely don't have the energy to try and make something engaging and creative and fun. In fact, if you're sitting there thinking like, oh my gosh, how am I going to make this lesson more interesting or engaging or fun for my students? And you're getting that kind of wash of stress come over you. It's because we're just done. Our our brain capacity is done, right? So if that sounds familiar, then you're going to love the three frames that I'm going to share today. Think of these as a handy set of options that you can kind of pull out of your bag of teaching tricks and immediately get students focused in a new way. Now, I'm going to let you in on a little secret about these three frames. These frames do not come from the world of education. They're actually sales and persuasion frames that marketers use to sell us products. But what I've discovered is that they work really well to encourage divergent and creative thinking in the classroom. So when I started using these frames with my students and with my faculty, I discovered a whole new way that we could start to look at problems and discussions and even the act of creating itself. 
Um, another thing that I want you to think about with these frames as I go into them is that they're simple. I don't want you to overcomplicate things here. They, each of the frames are built on one single question. And the elegance is in the simplicity itself. Remember, these are frames that I'm teaching you. They aren't hard and fast rules. They aren't a set strategy or a technique. Imagine that what I shared today are the boundaries that you set, kind of like the parameters of a game. But the students have a lot of freedom to make the picture inside of the frame anything that they want. So the three frames we're going to talk about today are the contrast frame, the less is more frame, and the empty chair frame. Now, as we go over these uh, frames, these ideas, think about how you might be able to use each of them in your class individually, as well as possibly layering them together. I think you're going to find so much flexibility with these and have fun being creative in how you use them. So let's dig in. The first one that we're going to talk about is the contrast frame. Now, the contrast frame, more than any of the other three, is um, more kind of abstract than, than anything else. However, I think it's one of the, the key ideas for actually moving us forward um, in where we want our students to go. So the contrast frame is all about anchoring your idea. So often when students come up with an idea or they share an opinion, they don't have anything to anchor it to. There's not um, a lot of evidence behind it or they kind of pulled it out and then they want to follow this thread and it may be a good thread to follow or it might be a dead end. And so what we're going to try to do here in the contrast frame is to help them figure out faster, should I follow this idea or should I not? So there's one simple question you'll have students consider, which is compared to what? When you ask the question compared to what, you immediately begin to anchor your idea in comparison to something else. You're providing that contrast, right? This is a powerful question that leads students to position their idea as a contrast to something that's already available. It is a great way to get students to consider why their idea or solution is viable and valuable. It's also a good way to begin a lesson through question and answers. So for example, let's say you begin class by sharing with students that you're going to make a statement and their only job is to reply back with compared to what, okay? Then you begin with a statement like, this pandemic is the worst thing to happen in a generation. And they, of course, have to respond, compared to what? To which you could respond, compared to the economic recession that happened in 2008. This then becomes a point of discussion. Is it really worse than that? Are there other events that are more important or that shaped us differently than the pandemic? So you can model this for a while and encourage that discussion and then flip the tables. Have students create a statement about a topic or event and then you are the one who gets to respond compared to what. So this does a few things. First, it encourages students to consider their idea, their statement or topic as a whole rather than in isolation. Lots of times, particularly in our secondary students, when they're working on that push and pull, you know, they 
that's something that they have to grapple with a lot as teenagers. This idea of like, how far am I going to push? What statement am I going to make that's going to make a splash? How am I going to stand out? These are all things that students psychologically are considering, right? In the midst of trying to learn. So lots of times secondary students like to make those flash in a pan statements um, and things that like, you know, are black and white instead of gray. This invites some more gray into the mix for those students and gets them thinking about perhaps what my statement is <laughs> needs to be anchored in comparison to something else in order to provide context for what I'm trying to say, to provide the whole rather than isolated an isolated incident. It also helps students to anticipate objections or to clarify their point of view because it doesn't take very long. Once you begin this practice of asking compared to what, that when students then begin making statements or begin working on their own on uh, ideas that they begin to ask themselves compared to what they begin to naturally begin to anchor their idea or their solution in comparison to something else in contrast to something else in order to clarify what it is they're trying to say and it also helps to anchor position statements and offer an entry point to discussion Sometimes, um, again, particularly with secondary students, although also I'm finding more and more, particularly with SEL, that our elementary students are also having um, difficulty in that they want to have discussions. They need to have hard discussions, uh, but they need a safe place to do it and they need an entry point in order to have that discussion. This question of compared to what offers a way for students to then have that discussion in a framed boundary, right? Because once you establish what the comparison is, you have a boundary that you stick between, right? And you don't go off on a lot of different directions that can get kind of scary if you're not careful. So this, again, provides the frame. You can use this uh, contrast frame to discuss art and music and politics and mathematical theories and point of view in literature, almost anything that you could think of. All right, the next frame that we're going to talk about is the less is more frame. Now, as author Dan Pink, who, by the way, is one of my favorite authors, um, he wrote so many books, um, but this one comes from, uh, I believe, the book To Sell is Human. Um, but he first came to my attention with his book A Whole New Mind. He, point is, he points out in his book To Sell is Human that we tend to overvalue addition and undervalue subtraction. So, and I love this idea because... <laughs> As a creative myself, I get this, that we we feel like we just need to share everything, right? In this frame, then the less is more frame, we're looking for students to remove anything extraneous until we're left with the essentials of their work. Now, lots of artists and writers use this frame when editing their work. And the key question for this frame is, what can you release? Now, lots of times when we're creating something, like I said, we want it to include everything that we have to say. So our work becomes cluttered and muddy, 
right? I know this when when I'm working on a web page in order to share something that we have um, available for teachers, or if I'm sharing a, an idea, like a um, a theory or a, a concept that I want to share with with teachers. Man, like I will put everything in the kitchen sink in there. And oftentimes I have to go back with a critical eye. And sometimes I even need the support of my team in order to do that, Um, to go through with that eye of what could we release from here? What's extraneous? What's not needed right away for clarity? Because sometimes if we put so much in there, our, our minds are just at capacity and we have to remember that. In fact, I think uh, Dan, uh, Dan Pink points out that the the top the number of ideas that you can put on a page that people will think, oh, this is great, this is this is a rich idea, this is something that I want to follow, is three. No more than three. After that, it becomes too much. Um, so. Uh, This frame gives students an opportunity to let go of things that aren't absolutely essential to the work or the project or the process. And if they choose to keep something, to have solid evidence behind that choice. I also really like the word release instead of remove in this question. What can I release? Removing feels like you have to take something away that was important, as if Because again, when we're creating, especially in the process of creating, um, oftentimes (laughs) everything feels like the most important thing. And so if you're asking somebody to remove something, it feels like you're taking away one of their babies, right? Release is more freeing and it feels more like a shedding of something that doesn't serve the purpose, right? So sometimes this can refer to releasing an argument or an idea Or it could be releasing a student's own preconceptions. So how can you use this frame? So a couple of ideas here. When editing a composition with traditional or non-traditional mediums. So when you're editing a piece of writing that you're working on or on a piece of artwork, when you're looking at that piece of artwork or a piece of music or creating a piece of choreography, you can ask, Oftentimes, you don't want to limit what the creative process is when you're writing. So you get it all down. But then once you've gotten it all down, you ask, what can we release from this? And see how much you can pare down. Uh, You can also use it when working on a reflection or an artist's statement. So again, you don't want the statement to be forever and a day long. um, Or the reflection to be forever and a day. Think about the key pieces and narrow it down. Um, You can use this when trying to persuade someone. So if you're working in debate, and that is often something that we're working on in our social studies classrooms, um, or having civil discourse, or when we're working on speaking and listening skills, how can we release something that may not be of the most importance and doesn't help us get our point across? And you can use this when problem solving for an unknown, right? So if oftentimes, this is where the, the one that I think kind of blows my mind, when I'm working on problem solving something, if I'm presented with a problem and I got to get to that solution, oftentimes I need to think about, okay, I can't get to the solution because I'm not seeing it right now. What do I need to release? What preconceived notions do I have that I'm thinking maybe are facts, but possibly aren't facts? Maybe they're just something that I think is necessary here. What could I release? And what happens if I release that? 
it opens up a whole new possibility to the problem solving process. Okay, and the last frame that I want to talk about is the empty chair frame. So the empty chair frame is one of the most commonly used um, frames, if you will, in business. But it's also the one that I think is the most powerful for teachers and administrators. Now, you can certainly use it with students, but I have found that this is most useful in my planning meetings and when considering difficult decisions, okay? So in the empty chair frame, you set up seats for everyone in your meeting. Now, if it's just you, if you're just having a planning session with yourself, then you have your own seat ready. Once you have that seat, then pull out an empty chair and place it at the table for the most important person, which is the one that you're making decisions for. So for example, in a planning meeting, this might be a chair for the student. And if you are in an administrative meeting and you're talking about um, decisions regarding a student, it might be a chair for the parent. Then once you have that empty chair sitting there, consider the point of view of the person who that seat is reserved for in your meeting and ask the question, how would this person respond if? Okay, now I've used this technique when I'm working on lesson planning or when I'm working on a page to try and, and describe a new process for our teachers. I used it a lot when I was writing for our arts integration certification program, when I was writing the lessons. Um, I would have the empty chair in front of me. And as I was as I was typing the script in order to deliver the certification videos, I would look at that empty chair quite often and think, is this going to confuse the learner who's sitting in front of me in this empty chair? Is this going to confuse them or is it going to provide clarity? If it's going to confuse them, I need to take that piece out and how can I make that more clear? Are they going to be able to get to the point of what I'm trying to um, unfold for them, right? So that question of how would this person respond if I leave this part in or how would that person respond if I change the assignment, right? That provides so much clarity. So for example, if you're, prov if you're making a decision about where to place a, a child next year, right? Where to, uh, what classroom to place that child in and the empty chair at your decision-making process is for the parent, then you'd ask the question, how would this child's parent respond if the child was placed in this classroom? or in this classroom. And while that may make a difference in your decision-making process, it might not, but at least you've considered that person's point of view. I use this a lot um, in our, our kind of framing for our exec team meetings and things with our business in that we have an empty chair for the teachers that we're trying to serve. And so when we're making decisions, sometimes we ask questions like, would the teacher that we're trying to serve be comfortable in this meeting right now? Or would they not like what we're talking about? Is it something that they would find to be um, not helpful or off base in some way? Or would they be excited to be in this meeting right now? It totally changes. This question, this empty chair frame, 
completely changes how you run a meeting, how you run a planning session, how you write your lessons, how you're considering um, students in an IEP meeting. It literally changes everything to use this one frame. It, because it immediately recenters your conversation and decision making around the person most affected by that decision. Now, if you want to use this with students, students can use this frame in the classroom if they're working on a STEM, STEAM, or PBL project where they, they have to create a new solution for something. They have to consider who's the solution for and have that empty chair there to consider what would that person maybe need? What am I not thinking of uh, for that person who's sitting in that chair, right? Um, or if they're creating a piece of artwork, they could be considering the audience that they're creating it for because not all art is created for the same audience as we know. So here are just a few ideas about using this frame. So use this frame during the creation or decision-making process. So when things are messy, right? then use the empty chair frame. It's meant to be an active part of the process and not just a consideration of the final product. What you don't want is to do all the work to make the decision or create the product or whatever it is that you're having students or yourself do, and then use the empty chair and say, what do you think? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, because by then it's too late. What you wanna do is have that empty chair there during the messiness because it will help you to let go of some things that you don't need and focus on the things that are really gonna affect that person. Also, give yourself space to adjust on what the empty chair representative might say, think, or do. So the question, how would this person respond if is meant to provoke and agitate your thinking surrounding the idea. And if that promotes some kind of divergent thinking to what you had originally intended, be open to changing it if necessary. This, I, I can't tell you how many times this particular frame has saved me um, in situations with working with parents, with uh, working with leadership that maybe has a different point of view from mine, being able to consider that point of view while I'm formulating my response or how I want to approach a difficult decision or, or creative process or whatever, that being able to think from that point of view during that thinking time has been so, so beneficial. Okay, now, now that we've had a chance to explore these three frames, consider how you might use each one of them either in your classroom or in your life in some way. And even better, think about how you might layer some of these frames. Like how could you layer the less is more and the empty chair frame? Or, the, um, or how could you layer the contrast frame and the less is more frame, right? It's so interesting how you can mix and match these. Consider when these might be most helpful to your teaching practice and for your students. I have heard so many teachers share in frustration over the past few months that students are just not engaging or are disinterested in digging below the surface level answers. So I hope that these frames help to shake up their thinking and get them moving forward in more critical and creative ways. Now, next week, I'm really excited to bring your first 
podcast guest to the show, Betsy Potash from Spark Creativity. She'll be here with me to discuss some specific creative strategies for connecting curriculum content areas. I can't wait for you to meet her and um, for us to get the creative spark together. And if you haven't already heard, we are releasing the second edition of our integrated lesson packs. We have our first edition was created about two years ago, and we've been working behind the scenes since then, almost immediately, uh, on the second edition. And it is now available for pre-order. So what that means for you is an incredible deal. So our new second edition is meant for elementary teachers, K to five. So if you are not an elementary teacher, no worries, but definitely share this with your elementary teacher friends because there are 120 lessons available in these lesson packs. All of the lessons have full step-by-step lesson plans along with all of the created student materials that you'll need and the assessments that are already done for you, as well as, and this is my favorite part, there is a site, a student-facing site available for each lesson. So if you switch into virtual learning at any time, you can just pop that site into your LMS and your students can work on the lesson either under your direction virtually or at home on their own. All of the steps have been provided for them. So really it makes lesson planning so easy for you and it allows students to continue to be creative, which is so critical during this time. And because it's on pre-order now during the month of November and heading into December, you get a couple of things. First, you can pre-order it for half off. So it's going to retail for $99 in January. You're going to get it for $49 on pre-order. And along with that pre-order, you'll get access to the Accelerator membership for 30 days for free. So you'll get access to the current 200 lesson plans that are available along with unlimited PD and all of our resources for free for 30 days as long as you pre-order that uh, those lesson packs now. So head on over to artsintegration.com forward slash lesson dash packs. I'll have that in the show notes as well so that you can secure that pre-order now at that great deal and get all those lesson plans when we release them in January. I'd love to hear your thoughts and questions about this particular episode, this idea of the three creative uh, frames. Remember, you can use the Ask Me Anything button on the podcast page to share with me your ideas and what's bubbling to the surface for you. Just head over to artsintegration.com forward slash spark chasers and you'll find today's show notes, contact area, and links for more resources. And if you're enjoying the show and know somebody who could benefit from our discussions, please share the podcast with them. And hey, if you really like it, pop in a review. That helps others to find the show and help others to participate in our conversations as well. Because together, we can chase the spark of our ideas and make a brighter future for everyone. I'll see you soon. Well, check that off your list, my friends. You just finished another episode of the Spark Chasers podcast. If you want more, head over to artsintegration.com forward slash Spark Chasers for show notes, a space to tell me what you thought of today's show, and links to what we talked about today. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. This helps others find the show so we can all grow and learn together. Can't wait to get together again soon.